Welcome to the Tech and Main Presents Podcast with your host, Sean St. Hill. Sean is the CEO of Tech and Main, a technology consulting firm in Atlanta, Georgia. Listen in as thought leaders share their tips and insights about what's going on in the world of technology. And now, here's your host, Sean St. Hill. Thank you for joining another episode of Tech and Main Presents, where we bring you the best insights from today's leaders and experts in technology. Before we get to today's guest, I wanted to let you know that today's episode is brought to you by Tech and Main. Clients and employees are the top priority of a business. Protect the data of your top priority in three easy steps. Tech and Main can help you assess your cybersecurity posture, fix any errors, and help maintain your security program according to the NIST and CIS standards. For more information, call our office at 678-575-8515. And now on to today's guest. Today, we will be speaking with David Lee. In the past 15 years, David has come to understand the complexity of digital identity, and he's built a career helping executives to understand it too. Although David Lee started as an enterprise architect and thought leader, after answering a lifelong personal conviction to help others, David now teaches families and individuals to achieve financial literacy and security. David hopes to expand his efforts into a media group that focuses on the curation of black and brown experiences. He can be found online at IamDavidLee.com. David, say hello to the Tech and May Presents audience. Hey, how you doing, everybody? Great to be here. It's been interesting. I've been listening to this podcast for the past couple of weeks, kind of catching up since we linked up. So I'm, I'm excited to finally uh, be a guest. David, thank you so much for taking time to be with us. Before we get started, why don't you go ahead and share your background with our audience? Man, okay. Wow. So I usually end up telling a lot of stories and ranting, so I won't do that with this one. I'm, I'm just going to I'm going to tell a little bit of a story, but I grew up in uh, Southern California. So I was born and raised uh, in a small town called Linwood, California. And I was there for, you know, young age, about eight or nine. After that, moved out to the suburbs and played football in high school. Ended up going to an historical black college, North Carolina A&T State University, where I studied computer science. Always had a love of computers. From there, I entered out in about 2003, started my career as a software engineer, just knew I was going to be like the best freaking Java programmer ever. Like that was just, <laughs> that was what I was going to do. Okay. And um, I ended up falling in love with cybersecurity and I ended up getting put on this project. Um, I got hired to be a Java developer, but like day that I started, the lead architect comes in, drops this book on my desk. And it was like this big, huge, thick book. And it was like Sun Identity Manager. I was like, what is this? He goes, this is the system that we hired you to, to code against. I'm like, okay. And I'm looking at this. It's like, this is already a built thing. I'm thinking I'm going to be building stuff from scratch. So anyway, long story short, that started my career inside Identity Access Management. And I just loved it. So I helped implement that. I uh, spent the next you know eight years doing um, government contracting. Um, after that, moved in and, and started my own software company. Had my first kind of entrepreneur experience. Learned a lot from there. After I shut down that company, went to work on the vendor side. So I started as a consultant and then I became a vendor, worked for Subpoint Technologies and just continued to do the same thing, helping organizations understand identity and access management. I kind of became uh, known in the space. Just you do something long enough, you, you tend to get really good at it. And so I did that all in all career about you know, 15, 16 years doing that, working for uh, various different companies. And then the last about five years, I've really been focusing on uh, financial education and financial coaching for a black and brown community, specifically the African-American community. It's something, you know, my career has, has given me the opportunity to do 
a lot of things in my life. I've traveled, I've been everywhere, I've spoken on stages, places that, you know, for a small kid from Los Angeles, California, especially a small black kid from Los Angeles, California, I was never supposed to see any of that. But I did. And part of that was I was blessed enough to get some mentoring early in my life, understand finance. And so I wanted to do that to give back and work within the community. So I now do that uh, full-time financial coaching. And then I also uh, own a media company, which my podcast is hosted on. And then we uh, said we um, are launching other podcasts, again, focusing on uh, the black and brown communities, talking, talking about that experience. So that in a very quick nutshell is my bio and my background. David, that's an amazing background. You and I have had the opportunity to talk a number of times and we have um, mutual friends in common. Obviously, we're both podcasters. And so I want you to talk a little bit about your daily work and why you started your podcast and why you started your media company. Man, so my daily work now is is actually pretty fun. So much different than what I used to do. I'm up in the morning. The first thing I'm looking at is like, all right, what either what content do I have that I've already recorded that I need to edit and get ready to ship out? Or what content do I plan on creating uh, within the next couple of weeks? Or now that I have the media company, uh, you know, what other content we're getting ready to create? So a lot of my day is just kind of going through that. I spend a lot of days editing, like doing either video editing or audio editing, or then kind of story creation. So really just kind of being creative and laying out and doing some research from things of that nature. So that's kind of like my daily life right now. How I started my podcast that I have, it was based off of, of course, uh, a conversation. My best friend, she is a uh, lawyer and VP of, of HR. And, you know, we always just we'll have these conversations about various different things, right? Good conversations, right? Kind of like debates, but not in a bad way, just kind of going back and forth. And she sees things on the way, I see them a different way. And so we were talking about diversity and inclusion within the workforce and how HR plays a role into that and how they could do better and how I thought they could do better. And she was like, well, here's a stance from this point. And so anyway, after, after we got off the phone, I was like, man, this is, this is a really good conversation. I think we need to have more of this. And so that kind of planted the seeds of starting a podcast. This was about a year ago now. And so then I said, you know what? I want to have a podcast where we talk about these things but not from like a typical manner. Like I wanted to be really kind of casual and engaging. Like you're just at a bar, you know, sipping a drink and, and, and talking. And when I started thinking about that, I started thinking about all the different conversations I had had over the years. Um, and I've had really good ones just like that. Like I'll order an old fashioned at the bar, see somebody, colleague of mine or a buddy of mine, and we'll just sit and talk. And I was like, I really want to capture those conversations and kind of get it out to the world. So that was the inspiration. And that's what kind of led to uh, the creation of my podcast. And that's still kind of how I manage the theme is just, you know, making sure I'm having, you know, just a good casual conversation uh, with someone, but about important topics. So. For our listening audience, your podcast is entitled Cocktails, Code, and Conversations. So cocktails we get, conversations we get. Help us with the code part of that title. Yeah, so code was just, um, my background is is technical. And so I knew that a lot of the things I was going to end up talking about were going to be in the technical arena and so as I was trying to come up with the name, I wanted something to kind of go along with everything else. And then I already had two C's, so I needed a third. So I was like, <laughs> all right, well, code will work. Let's do that. That's where, where code comes in, right? So a lot of the times I'm talking about issues within cybersecurity or identity and access management. And so it's kind of techy. And so I just want my code to get the third C in there. I think that's really interesting where your passion, as you said now, is financial literacy and obviously putting out content for the black and brown community. But even in your podcast title, you're not straying too far from your technology roots. And so how are you balancing 
those two worlds. A lot of days it feels like Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Like I just, uh, it is two different hats and it's mostly, I just, it is compartmentalization, right? So as I kind of plan out my days and I, and I kind of plan out my weeks, you know, I have certain days where I just focus specifically on that part, financial part, like researching and, and sitting down and, and talking with clients and kind of walking them through, excuse me, some of the fundamentals that they need to understand and things of that nature. It is something that I'm, I'm working to figure out that I would like to involve it a little bit more in, into the pod or maybe um, have a different you know, podcast that I do that with. One of the things I've learned that's interesting is that the financial market is heavily, heavily regulated. So being a licensed you know, individual, there are a lot of restrictions that come with that. And so instead of uh, you know, kind of forcing the issue and flirting with disaster and maybe get my license taken, I've just kind of strayed away from that. But yeah, to, um, you know, to, to split the two, it's really just it's a different mindset. So it's just me kind of putting on a different hat here and there. But my, <laughs> I've always said my, my mind is an interesting thing, right? I kind of, it all connects in my brain. And so most of the time it's me making sure that it connects to everybody else who doesn't live inside my brain. It all kind of still comes back to tech to me. That is an interesting point, right? I know we've both heard the saying, you know, every company is a tech company. So I think that underscores the point that you're making where technology and the world of finance, they are interchangeable. They bleed into each other. So I don't think it's too far-fetched to, you know, have all of that going on in your mind at one time. But what I'd ask you to do is keep your uh, tech hat on for a little bit. Yep. And so... Um, you know, one of the things we talk about here on the podcast is cybersecurity. And I'm always interested to get the thoughts of those that are in the industry. You know, what would you say is a common cybersecurity issue that organizations are, are dealing with? The first thing I would say is cloud security. This is to me like the biggest issue that I think cybersecurity companies are facing. And it's in the fact that as everybody kind of is quickly moving to the cloud and having these cloud models, understanding the access models and how access is granted in the cloud, one, is so different from on-prem and moves so much faster and is so much fluid. It's an issue that uh, a lot of companies are facing trying to figure out the best way to govern and kind of manage that. And we see the effects of that and a lot of these breaches that come out because it always comes down to, you know, somebody's S3 bucket or, you know, whatever, some file server that was out there that they didn't realize was open to the public because these things move so fast and it's much more of a policy kind of dynamic driven access model uh, than we're used to on-prem. It's interesting that you bring up cloud security because I think one of the things most organizations fail to realize is that when you are moving from on-prem to the cloud, from a security standpoint, you do bear you know, a significant amount of responsibility. It's not just that hyperscaler that has all of the security responsibility. You as the chief information officer or whatever role you play within your organization, you, know, you have to kind of read the fine print, so to speak, to make sure yeah. that you understand where AWS or Microsoft's role begins and ends and where yours picks up after that. Yeah, definitely. The beauty that you get with the cloud is that from infrastructure provisioning and setting up your servers and all this stuff, like a lot of that's in scaling, you get a lot of that automation, which is beautiful, right? And so you just, you use what you need and that's great. But the other side of that is as you are building the tools on top of that, and as these providers are building these tools on top of that, it is a skill set that you still have to learn and maintain because to your point, each of these uh, providers 
kind of has their responsibility model, right? Where, you know, there's like, okay, there's so much that they're responsible for, but there is a lot that you're still responsible for as well. And you want to make sure that uh, not only that your, you know, your organization is ready for it and prepared, but that your staff is kind of up to date on that. And it changes. And I think that's the thing. It changes so fast. And I mean, you look at, you know, some of these cloud providers and they just, the level of development that they do and the features and things that they push out, it's cool from a nerdy perspective. Like, I love it. It's like, oh man, there's more stuff that I can play with. Cybersecurity side of me is like, no, like no more toys. That's it. (laughs) (laughs) Oh man, that's good. Um, So David, as we're talking about cloud security and, you know, that being a major issue for organizations, what piece of advice would you give or recommend to help deal with that? I usually say it's look, it's the same old recipe, right? It's just, it's, you know, maybe fresher ingredients, right? The first thing that I would say is like, as you're moving to the cloud or if you're already in the cloud inventory, right? You can't protect what you don't know is there. The first thing is really making sure that you have a clear understanding of what it is that you're using, you know, what features, what services you're using and whatever cloud provider you have, what applications you have running those, running on those, and what is it required from, for me, it always comes back to an identity, right? From an identity and access management standpoint, where am I authenticating these users? Where am I authorizing them? What grants that? And how does that change day to day or hour to hour, right? If, if you know, depending on what kind of organization you're running, if I've got a, a dev shop that's pushing out 40, 50, 60 updates a day, and they're using a lot of automated scripts, that's great. So when those things happen, what are the authorization models that are happening? So the first thing I say is inventory, right? And just understanding what the landscape is. And, you know, that in itself is not going to be a one-time thing. Usually that's something, especially now, it's probably a, a one or two person kind of position that's just kind of monitoring and making sure that, hey, we're, we're keeping up to date. This is what latest architecture is. Here's what the changes we made. That's kind of really the first step. And then from there, you can start to kind of make your adjustments and next steps as you need to. So if you look at everything and say, hey, look, for the most part, all of our applications migrated over and we've got a good handle on what users can log in and how they authenticate. But what we don't really have a good handle on is maybe third party, right? I've got a lot of vendors coming in and they need to log into my cloud network and we don't really have a handle on how they're doing that. We don't want to put them into our identity store. We don't really, we kind of want off this. Okay, well, there's an area that you need to go fix, right? So I need a, a third-party management or a vendor management type tool. Or maybe you say, look, we got a lot of stuff going on, but what I'm not comfortable with is every single developer, you know, has a has a file on their computer with all the production passwords that when they run the script, it goes and grabs this secret file. I don't really like that. We want to manage that a little bit better, right? Okay, well, now let's start looking at privilege access management. So there's There's different ways that you can go, but you first kind of have to know how big the problem is. And then from there, you can start kind of, you know, breaking it down. Let's do this. Why don't we do a role play? And let's say you and I are sitting in front of a client. We've talked about a number of things and we're not at the point where the client starts sharing with us some of their concerns. And the first thing they say is, you know what, guys, we just can't find the staff necessary to do cybersecurity right here at our company. So my first response is like, hey, like this is, you know, customer I understand. And while cybersecurity is a great market and it's a growing field, it's very competitive. 
However, I would say, let's look at some of the initiatives that you're using to go and fill some of these recs. Like, first of all, do you know exactly how much staff you know you need? Do you know what positions you need? And let's look and see like kind of what strategies you're putting in place with your recruiting team and where you're looking and how you're looking to vet some of these people to come in. Because sometimes I think with a lot of organizations is they go, okay, we got to hire cybersecurity staff. And they say, what do we hire? And so they go look at something and go, I need network plus A plus and this, this, and this, and 15 years experience. Like, and they just throw a bunch of stuff out there. It's like, okay, let me look at this and tell you what you're looking for is a purple unicorn with one wing who flies at night. <laughs> that doesn't exist. Right. So how about we go find you some lions and tigers and bears? Cause those are real things that we can go find. That's kind of the first step is I would look at say like what positions are you looking for? Let's make sure you're, you're kind of scoping your positions the right way. And then secondly, I would say, okay, well, that's where, you know, it's great to bring in a consultancy, right? Let's look at some staffing firms that you can bring in. Uh, you can start with the big four, you can start with smaller ones or whatever. But again, let's start to look at some of the needs and partner with organizations there to kind of help augment some of that staff to help you get over the hump of not having your staff on there. But again, that's not an solution because I think as, as much as, as many friends as I have at a lot of consulting agencies at the big four, like, um, and as much as they would love to be there for your, in, your entire career of your company, and you can write them checks every, every quarter, that's not sustainable. At some point, you want to have your own staff on there. So that's kind of how I would answer that. I would first look at them and say, all right, let's look and see what you have. How are you writing your, your recs? How are you positioning these different positions that you need to have? Let's make sure those are lined up to standards to help you find the people that you need. And then two, let's probably get you partnered up with a consulting agency to kind of get you some, some help there, a little bit of higher guns to kind of help you get started. Well, David, that's a lot of good food for thought that you shared from a cybersecurity and technology standpoint. Why don't we pivot into learning a little bit more about David Lee? And we'll, (laughs) we'll, we'll start off with what's your favorite musician or band? My favorite uh, musician was Tupac. Okay. That's my guy. As I was, uh, you know, as I was kind of coming up and getting into like adolescence and, you know, you kind of find your own, you start to find your first kind of musical style. Yeah, I was in LA, man. And, and, and Pac was a thing. I remember listening to his first album, which I can't, you know, say, but, um, and I was just <laughs> like, man, this is, uh, it was interesting to me because listening to his music was a representation of some of the reality that I saw every day. Not all of it. Right. I was very fortunate that, you know, when I was in LA, I was in the, some of the nicer parts don't get that twisted as if we wouldn't in birds. It was nicer parts. It just wasn't as bad as the rest of LA at that time. You know, it was a reality for a lot of my friends and things I saw around. So I connected with that because listening to his his music, you know, represented reality that that I saw that I can connect with. And I always just respected his ability to kind of put rhymes together and the storytelling that he did. Yeah, and it just it stuck with me. So it's been my favorite musical artist. Let me ask you this curiosity question. What do you think Pac would say about what's going on in the world today if he were still with us? He'd be right on the front lines. And he would say that this is the outcry that you're seeing, the protest that you are seeing is the combinations of decades and decades of injustice and pain finally finding, you know, one place to go and be a voice out. And I think he would be, you know, at this point, you know, Pac would be you know, like 30s, early 40s. I knew he would be an activist, right? If he was still here, I think he'd be, um, you know, kind of leading the charge on working with a lot of these government officials and, and local, you know, council members to fix and really drive 
you know, something towards positive change and probably not in the way that most people would like to see positive change. I mean, Pac was an agitator and I think he realized that about himself, but he also understood the need for that. And he was an agitator when he felt things needed to be agitated, but he was very, I mean, most people don't listen to like his, his interviews or speeches that he gave. He was very aware of things that were happening and things beyond his years, as you know, people would say. So I think he would say that, you know, it's, this is a repeating cycle that we need to end. And now more than ever, we have a chance to pull our voice together to, to really make change and really be passionate and driven about that change. David, how about your favorite sports team? Uh, favorite sports team is basketball is the Los Angeles Lakers because I was born in LA and, you know, I was fortunate enough to live through the Kobe and Shaq era. You can't tell me anything. I'm, I'm ride or die Lakers fan. Uh, football is Pittsburgh Steelers, oddly enough, because when I was growing up, uh, there was no football in LA, right? So the, the Rams are gone, the Raiders are gone. And so I ended up uh, falling in love with the Pittsburgh Steelers because I love their colors. But I would say, like, without a doubt, the number one is a Lakers fan. Like, I don't anything. I, I follow a lot of sports, but if there's a Lakers game on, like, that's it. I'm there. I'm watching it. We are recording this in August of 2020, mm-hmm. and the bubble playoffs have started. The Lakers are up in their series yep. against Portland. Are we bringing another banner back to hey, LA? Man, let me know <laughs> now. We we. <laughs> I'm a superstitious Lakers fan, man. I'm not going to claim that yet. Is that the hope? Yes, absolutely. But I'm also very realistic. Look, I, I think we, um, now you're about to get the NBA analysts. I think we really have a good shot, right? I think the last two games, the Lakers have found their stride and played uh, the type of basketball that they have been playing before entering into the bubble. We're seeing the defense, the intensity, and uh, with their length and athleticism, there's just not a lot of teams that can match up against them other than the Bucks and Giannis, which is if we make it through, it's going to be them in the finals. And now the Clippers, the Clippers cause a problem. They gave us struggles all year long. But I really think for whatever reason in those games, we just, the Lakers, we, right? They say I'm a fan, right? The Lakers just never really brought everything. And in the last regular season that, before the bubble, the last regular season game they played, I think was the best that they played against the Clippers. So I think it's going to be a tough road. But I think if we can get past the Clippers, I think we're going to set up for an epic seven-game series against the Bucks, and uh, we'll go from there. As long as they're playing good, I'll be happy. I don't want to claim that we'll bring a chip, but that is the hope. I will say I am also a Lakers fan. I go back to the Showtime days. So James Worthy, Magic, I still remember watching. And this is back in the day when the NBA – was still an afterthought on TV. Right. Now everything's, you know, prime time and, you know, 500 different channels. But, you know, back in the 80s, it had to be a special game for you to see it. And then, of course, right. you know, with tape delay and all of that. For most of our listeners, you don't know what that is. Google it. <laughs> That's how we used to watch things back in the day. But um, I think the Lakers this year have as good a shot as anybody in the bubble to bring it home. Because I think what the bubble has shown is everyone's dealing with the pandemic. Everyone's dealing with a player having to leave for one reason or the other. So I think there's just a lot of parity when it comes to this year's playoffs. So I was going to say, and this, this format kind of really brings it back down to, it's just pure basketball, right? And, and a lot of the announced, like Shaq, for once, like he hates it, right? He calls it, he was AAU style basketball or whatever. But I'm like, <laughs> you know, if you go back and look at it, right, that's, you know, the whole AAU thing's a different topic. But for what it is, that's, that's when basketball is usually the most pure. You just got a bunch of, you know, a bunch of kids going out and playing and there's no fanfare. You're not traveling back and forth. It's just, 
you know, tournament style, like, okay, you play today, then you win, you play again in two days. And so to have that on a professional level, so now you got the world's best athletes, right, focused and playing, you know, basketball every other day. Everything else is, you know, they still got the media and stuff like that, but there's no traveling, there's no this, there's no going out, and, and it's just, you're just playing ball. And so I think for those teams that really lock in and get it, that's why we've seen some really good basketball. Like just last night, the, uh, the Utah and Denver game, oh my God. I mean, just, it was great basketball. Man, I'm a basketball nerd, man. Don't get me started. I, I love it. There is a tremendous amount of good basketball that we're seeing right now from the game that Dallas and the Clippers played a couple of days ago, that last second three-pointer from Luka Doncic to the Clippers coming back last night and basically running Dallas out of the gym. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, we, we are getting to see some really good basketball and um, definitely in, tuned in and loving every second of it. David, what's the favorite vacation spot for you? Okay, so right now, and I say right now because there's, um, I'm, I'm a huge traveler. I love to travel. Obviously, with current times, that's been severely limited and probably will be for me, you know, at least for a while. But my favorite spot right now is Sydney, Australia, without a, without a doubt, man. You said, look, down your head, you got to pick one place to go. I, it, it's Sydney. I'm hopping a flight and I'm going to Sydney. I, I love everything about that place. Okay. So when was the first time you went to Sydney? First time I went to Sydney was 2015. I had the privilege of living there for about six months. So oh. um, I was on a it's kind of a work assignment. I was flown over there to help an organization kind of help get their identity access management deployment off the ground. So I got a chance to live there. And yeah, man, I loved everything from the people to the beaches, the mountains. You know, I grew up in Cali. So, you know, I was always 30 minutes from the water. Right? So I love being close to water any, any time I can. So living in Texas right now, just it, it hurts my heart because there's no water near me. But legs don't count, people. <laughs> um, <laughs> But you're in Austin, there's a lake. No, lakes don't count. But it was 2015 and I just, I love like Bondi Beach, Coogee Beach, Manly. It was, it was awesome. And the sunsets, the water. Yeah, I love it. We know if we ever need to find David Lee during some sort of, you know, amazing race, scavenger hunt type of thing, we know exactly where you'd be. You know exactly, you know exactly where to find me. <laughs> okay. All right. That's good stuff. So David, I want to ask you, what is one person that you're following that you consider to be innovative? So my answer is, is Marcus Carey. I don't know if innovative would be the best word to describe it, but like he's impactful and kind of doing things. I don't know, I'll say innovative because I think he's going about doing things that we normally haven't seen done. So one of the things that really, that he's done lately is um, he's working on writing. I don't know if he's written it already. He's working on writing a children's book for helping kids like understand like coding and cybersecurity. And, um, which I guess I know people have done it or whatever, but like just watching the things that he's doing about kind of giving back to the community and helping people understand cybersecurity and things it can do and just kind of creating that path forward into it has just been really awesome, man. And I just, um, every time I see one of his tweets, it's like, oh, I'm doing this now. I'm just like, man, it's like, number one, it's awesome. And number two, I'm just like, let me go do something like, right. It's, right. it's motivating. I really love everything he's doing. He put together this book a couple of years ago called A Tribe of Hackers. Uh, which I thought oh, was okay. Yeah, there's um we had one one guy on uh Terrence Jackson. He's the CISO for a company that oh, Psychotic. He's featured in in one of the uh Tribe of Hackers book. Yeah, so I just think he's 
I love watching what he puts together, man. So in that way, I would say, yeah, he's an innovative person that I follow. Great. David, we've come to the end of our time together. But before we go, I've got one last question for you. What teacher on any level would you say has had the most impact on you? So I'm going to say Professor Carr, and this was in college. And the reason why is because if it wasn't for him, I probably would not have had the career that I've had. So I, quick story, I go to North Carolina A&T and uh, I study computer science, never programmed a day in my life. I just knew that I loved computers. I love messing around with them. They intrigued me. I wanted to know more about them. But what I got there, a lot of people in my class had already been exposed to programming. So by the time they got there, this wasn't really new to them. They were kind of increasing their skills. And I was like fresh, brand new. I didn't, I didn't even know how to start. And so I got into a point in comp sci, there's a class called 280, it's data structures. And this was known at the time. It was like, this, this is when you was going to make it, right? Like once you got to kind of like data structures, like 280 to 300 level, like you either was going to stay with this thing or not. And I was on the side of like getting ready to change my major. I was like, I don't think I'm going to get this. Um, not picking this up as, as fast as everybody else, which for me was a thing because I'd always picked up things fairly quickly. So Professor Carr, one day pulls me into his office and he goes, all right, let me sit down with me. He goes, I'm going to walk you through some stuff. And so we walked through some programs and just some problems. He basically just kind of gave me that reassurance. He goes, look, man, you got this. Like you understand it. And he was like, just because you're not maybe answering as fast as anybody else, or you're not programming as fast as anybody else, don't don't let that discourage you. Like half the time he goes, you know, the people who are raising their hands and saying all these answers, he goes, they're wrong anyway. He was like, so don't, don't pay attention to that. Focus on understanding these fundamentals. You got this. And really just kind of, you know, being that push that needed to give me the confidence and then working with me over that summer, you know, when I had questions, he was like, yeah, come in, let's, let's do it together. We debug programs together. And then he also opened my eyes to like what programming could do, right? He was a professor, but then he was like, <laughs> During the summers, he would make double his salary just doing random programming contracting because oh, wow. you know the crook. Now this was also I'm about to date myself, right? This was also COBOL programmer at the time. This was like '99 ish to 2001, two ish, right? COBOL was still a thing for all you youngins. Google. Again, go out and Google it, right? Go out and Google what happened in 1999 with, with computer programs. And COBOL was a big thing, so. But yeah, that kind of really inspired me to number one, stick with computer science and really kind of get better at programming, which then led to the rest of my career. So I'd have to say that should be Professor Carr. And have you ever had a chance to um, share any of that appreciation with Professor Carr? You know what? I have not because by the time I went back to visit my alma mater, he had he had left the school and I just, I didn't do a good job of figuring out where he went and, and keeping up with him. I could probably Google search him. I think, you know what, you've, you've now inspired me. I'm going to see if I can't find him. Right. I think that would be fitting. I think he would get a kick out of knowing the impact that he's had on you and for him to get caught up with you and see what you're up to now. Yeah, I think he'd appreciate that. All right. So, David... Before we go, what's the best way for our people to get in contact with you? Yeah, so the best way to get in contact with me, first of all, through my website, IamDavidLee.com. As of my contact information there, you can send out a form. You can follow me on social. On Twitter, it's at DL Presidente. That's the quickest way because I check that to most. Any other you know, social I give you, I'd probably get to it. But between my website and Twitter, 
uh, that's definitely the place you can, you can get in contact with me and I can respond the quickest. And of course, we will have all of that in the show notes. David, one, this has gone by too quickly and this has just been a lot of fun. I appreciate getting the chance to, you know, just chop it up with you, talk tech, get to know a little bit more about you. You're a good guy. And uh, yeah, just really appreciate the time that we've had together. Yeah, man. Thanks. Appreciate you having me on and um, looking forward to hearing more great episodes from Tech in Maine. Tech and Main presents family. As always, we want to thank you for listening and be sure to tune in next time when we will have another technology expert share their wisdom. Goodbye for now. You've been listening to another episode of Tech and Main presents. Be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcast, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. Don't forget to tell your friends and thanks for being a part of the Tech and Main presents community.